This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. (laughs) When loss is so deep, it can freeze us. Grief and loss make it hard for us to immediately absorb everything that has happened. So we are a bit like deer in headlights, behaving in unexpected ways or shutting down entirely. Shutting down has such a bad reputation, and it's true, you don't want it to go on indefinitely. But it has allowed me to take a moment and regroup. It reminds me of the moment when ice arrives for the first time in the winter. Those who live with that reality know you need to take a moment of pause to recalibrate walking and driving. Business as usual stops with ice. Ice keeps the reality of our vulnerability very much alive. It makes us come alive in our attention and feelings so we don't hurt ourselves navigating it. Like ice, grief makes us very aware of how vulnerable we are. Like ice, we have to approach our grief consciously with all of our attention so it doesn't engulf us or take us away from the warmth of our lives. Doing so can make us strangely fully alive. Valeria Telles interviews Donna Brooks, a somatic movement educator and therapist, yogi and embodied meditator, counselor, and coaching in movement and the healing arts. Donna Brooks has 40 years experience in unwinding limiting and painful habits in the body and in the mind using conscious movement. Her specialty is in using imagery to rediscover movements of innate health and balance. As these movements are uncovered, we feel more alive. There is more ease and a loss of tension and pain in our bodies and our lives. We also meet the suffering and loss inherent in life differently. Donna has designed and taught programs for Parkinson's disease, MS, cancer, stroke, and chronic pain. If you go to her website, originalbodywisdom.com, you can read about her own losses and recovery. Currently, she is working on embodied recovery from the sudden and unexpected death of her adult son. Meet Donna at OriginalBodyWisdom.com. Here's the interview with Donna Brooks. In your own words, who is Donna Brooks? Uh, In my own words, who is Donna Brooks? Someone who's been on Earth for over 60 years in a female body who has had quite a lot of challenges in life and has experienced a lot of loss and grief. And through that has gleaned some insight into resilience and joy, despite grief and loss. And I wonder why for some people it happens and for some people it never happens. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I do frame things a lot, not exclusively, but I do frame things a lot in terms of physiology and biology and the body. And whenever we have an experience that is difficult for us, and certainly people have different levels of difficulty in particular points in their life, over their whole lives, and I don't know what to make of that, really. But when we meet a difficulty, especially if it just feels too hard for us to navigate, we, our nervous systems go into like a freeze response, Mm, a kind of shutdown because the event would be overwhelming. Mm. And, you know, for some people, an overwhelming event could be you're chemically sensitive from birth. No one knows what that is. And your parents use laundry detergent that Mm -hmm. troubles you. You know, it could be as simple as that to obviously someone who experiences intense or repeated physical or sexual violence. So we shut down often if we feel a little bit more empowered in the situation, we try to run away or, you know, try to force our way out of it somehow. And that's really a difficult thing for children because we don't usually have that kind of power. And that's just our physiology. That's how our bodies and minds are wired to protect us. I do concur with the idea that when human beings were in their infancy, the kind of things that would have triggered fight, flight, or freeze were tigers, snakes, um, avalanches, you know, natural disasters that you would have no control over. Our modern world is much more complex than that. And we don't have typically the kind of holding that it would seem primitive or aboriginal humans would have, that the tribe knew how to operate through song, through dance, through storytelling, through touch in such a way that anyone who experienced fight, flight, or freeze could calm down mm-hmm. and process out, you know, shake out if it was fight or flight. Movement really can alleviate the chemicals in your body that are from that just being held and listened to can make you safe enough to let in some of the shock from freeze. And I think in our modern world, we often don't have the resources to meet what, you know, I hate to use the word trauma because not every upset is a trauma. Yeah. Um, but every trauma is very upsetting. (laughs) And because we don't have the resources to meet that, I think that is often why people don't get back in touch with their joy or feel one of the, the curious things I think that happens in this human life is we can sometimes feel joy and grief or joy and sadness, happiness or sadness, love and extreme disappointment all at the same time. But our nervous systems have to allow for that complexity. 
And with that in mind, what comes to me is the idea that we can somehow have work the mind, if that's train the mind to control the body. Is that possible, Donna, to do that? Um, that's kind of the opposite of my approach. All right. <laughs> that would be. I, yes. I worked for years with in an <laughs> office people did neurofeedback and through retraining brain waves to respond differently, yeah. sensations in the body can be mm-hmm. controlled. So yes, I think there is a kind of top down way to help your body not stay locked in chronic patterns of distress. And then I, my work is more focused on a body up way that you introduce conditions into your embodied experience that change your brain. And it's a loop, you know, it's like the central nervous system. It you could say it's concentrated in the brain and there's instruction that goes out to the body. But when we think of that, we're usually thinking of the frontal brain and uh, the cerebral cortex, because that's sort of our intuition, our dream imagery, our rational understanding. But the very base of the brain has a lot to do with just reading and regulating things that are really important, like balance and respiration rates, temperature. And that. so the brain is receiving up. And there's a way that, let's just say the safety in the low brain, which you might also feel is the more primitive brain, creates a context for the midbrain and the frontal brain. And the midbrain is really important too. And this is not my area of expertise. I really only know a little bit about this. But a lot of what people experience as emotional distress arises from the limbic system in the midbrain. And you can't really talk your limbic system out Mm -hmm. of distress. Like you might, you can give it some support, but you have to give it conditions and experiences where it feels safety. Okay, so I'll be asking you questions, a lot more questions about your work, exactly what you do, embodiment and embodiment laws and grief. So before that, talk to me for a moment about losing your son, Michael Jamal Brooks. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it was very unexpected. He, We found out after a, a long time with his body being in the medical examiner that he had... Um, genetic factors for blood clotting. And he basically had a giant saddle clot. And the medical examiner, you know, she felt that this was kind of an indirect result of COVID. He didn't have COVID, but he he had flown a lot prior to COVID. And then he didn't move much. So she thinks he had probably been getting and dissolving clots all along and his body couldn't dissolve this one. But we had no idea that he had these clotting factors and had been creating clots. So, uh, you know, very suddenly, probably within the space of an hour, an hour and a half, he was dead. And I was, I'm in Massachusetts and he was in Brooklyn. So, you know, I didn't, I wasn't there. I was all over the phone and literally I collapsed when I heard the news. 
What is the meaning of losing the body from your perspective, Donna? I really, I don't know. I experience non-physical, non-local experiences, but I don't have any absolute knowledge of what the plan is here at all. So, you know, I mean, in the best state of it, it is, you know, I know when my son died, a friend uh, gave me a poem that I don't remember all of it, but part of it had to do with death feels like taking a tight shoe off. Yeah, yeah. So that I hope is true and that there's a satisfaction and a a peacefulness. I mean, I'm sure that the kind of um, difficulties that arise from having to have bodies is no longer there. Yeah. Um, but I don't know why there are bodies and then there are not. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's the the experience, isn't it? Yeah, it's a mystery yeah. in a way. Yeah, it is a mystery. So grief, that's a topic that I often talk about with many of my guests. And I love the way you say that. You wrote, I am meeting my pain as I meet the rest of my life through embodiment. So what is grief to you? And what is embodiment? And how do you connect the two, grief, loss, and embodiment? Well, I think that when so the grief is kind of another book I was reading or maybe it was something someone said that when their child died their wife howled and shrieked like an animal in pain and that really cuts at the at least the initial intensity of grief And for some people, that visceral experience is so huge, they can't block it away. They can't meditate it away. They can't relax themselves away. They can't pray themselves away. They can't drink themselves away from it, eat themselves away from it. It's just there. And other people can. Other people can, and obviously alcohol might be the most common thing. Like, I don't want to feel this. I'm just going to have drinks until I can cope again, right? right? So because my practice, both in my personal evolution and my work with people, is to not shy away from the visceral experience of what's happening in the body, I find myself, and it moves in increments, really allowing the depth of that grief to be present to my experience. And in that depth, movement happens. It doesn't stay stuck. It's not like a hole. It's um, an invitation to feel more deeply without rationalizing why I'm feeling away with a certain way or arguing with myself about feeling and then through embodiment. So I'm a somatic embodiment practitioner. We tend to accept the idea that tissue has consciousness. So there's not just sort of my consciousness, but if I feel into my gut, for instance, I don't need to know what my gut is saying to me, although that may come up. But I can actually allow the organic 
movements and fluidity and liveliness of my gut to live in myself. It's like an ecosystem that just the way ferns seem to have a different consciousness than maple trees or than, you know, rocks, if you want to go that way and talk about rocks having consciousness and some people do, some people don't. So internally, there are different aspects of consciousness. And if I can be present to those and allow them to rise and fall, it helps me to absorb everything that's happened to me and just live more deeply without the pain. I love that approach, though. It's basically feeling the feelings, having the courage to do that. Or being open, yes. I would say. Like yes. Done, open enough. Yes. Um, do you also think that that takes trust? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That comes back to what I was talking about in the beginning, that there has to be a certain level of safety, especially when there's been a shock and a freeze in the nervous system. So someone who's had a lot, you know, like, say, I didn't have the resources of my years of work, I didn't have my friends and family, you know, I didn't have esteemed professionals I could go to to help me, you know, get body work or whatever, then maybe I wouldn't feel safe at all to let those feelings and experiences come up. And if I can't feel that safety, then, and it doesn't have to happen all at once, but if there's never a movement to feel safety, that that kind of shock and freeze and everyone get away from me, I can't cope, yeah. is going to stay. Right. Right. So safety is huge. Yeah. The purpose of the human experience, what do you think that is, Donna? Oh, I don't I really don't know. <laughs> the purpose of the human experience. I mean, maybe we all make meaning for ourselves. I mean, and some people don't. Some people's you know, purpose of their human experience is to accumulate toys or, you know, to have the most money on the planet, whatever. Like But I think there are other people who, many people who, you know, they, you kind of make your meaning. Like maybe people write or they paint or they build relationships or they build houses for people. You know, it's all, um, I think it's very personal how we make meaning. If we're oriented towards that, not everyone's oriented towards meaning. That's true. What about for your life? What gives meaning to your life? I think what gives meaning to my life is being able to meet people where they are and in that meeting to be present and allow insight or experience in such a way that they start to feel safe and unwind what's in the way of their being more connected to what is essential to them in their lives. So another question I have for you is about healing. What is your idea of healing? What is your understanding of what healing is? Is there a destination for healing? And what are some of the misconceptions we have about it? Well, you know, I think healing can have different meanings. I mean, for someone who has COVID, healing can mean not having COVID anymore. Right, right. That's a healing. And then... For other people or in different situations or concurrent situations, healing is kind of 
bringing all the scattered pieces back together. So I don't know why, but it seems like everyone who lands here on this earth Uh gets shattered in some way. True. Lands here. Yeah. I love the way you said that too. It's insightful. Yeah. So landing, just by landing, we get hurt just by doing the um, yeah. being about itself, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think there's anyone, like I said, some people have greater or lesser, you know, some people feel the pain more deeply than other people. Some people have more difficulty to contend with in their lives, but I don't think there's anyone who's untouched yes. by grief and loss, basically. So what was the inspiration for you to become a somatic movement educator and therapist? Well, I think I I was a yoga teacher. I still am. I maintain yoga therapy certification. <laughs> but I started, I was a dancer and a yoga teacher when I was really young. And I think my first experience of somatic movement, which was actually Feldenkrais classes, taught me that you could gain sort of the flexibility and um, openness of yoga with movement. And then I realized like the kind of uh, prescriptions of dance as exhilarating and fun as they could be. I didn't like that part of movement. I just sort of liked moving intelligently. And then I liked the openness and the sort of insight from yoga, but I didn't always like the the holding and the patterns and do it this way. And somatic movement leaves a lot of possibility Mm. for people to uncover the natural integrity and natural ease of their own movement and in that their own psyche. That sounds wonderful. I remember experimenting with something called BioDance, I think is the name of BioDance. I think the instructor mm-hmm. or the founders from Chile. And that was kind of interesting. Have you heard about that approach? You know, the name is familiar, but I have not had direct experience with it. Yeah, what it seems like from my experience is that the body is just moving kind of naturally, doing what it needs to do to release whatever it needs to release without the mind getting involved. Yes, exactly, exactly. And Thomas Hanna, who coined the term somatics for the sort of um, field, he said that basically somatic movement is you experiencing your body without making it an object. Mm. So, you know, usually we go to fitness class or dance class or yoga class or whatever, and you're telling your body what to do. True. But can you drop in in such a way that you're actually experiencing it and exactly what you're saying, the experience, letting its wisdom come out and show you what needs to unwind or to be strengthened? Yes. Yeah. Wow, Donna, you just kind of reminded me uh, to go back to it, actually, because mm-hmm. I do work yeah. out, I do all these things, but it, I am telling the body what to do. <laughs> it doesn't feel that great after. How do you work with clients online? Uh, do you travel this time? Yes, I, I have not been traveling through COVID. I have been surprised, actually, by how well um what I can do with people online has been help has been working. 
that has been rather stunning. I recently completed a unit on just the anatomical functioning of the foot through experiencing a more healthy and natural gait and how that moves up into the pelvis. Uh, This weekend, I'm going to do an organic walking clinic and uh, work with people on their pelvic floors virtually and even do embodied meditation. Mm. So Mm. being able to center yourself directly into your body and even embryologically structures that weren't necessarily that aren't there anymore in our bodies, but because they were there, they've left an energetic imprint we can enter into and settle as part of our meditation. Oh, wow. I love that. What a wonderful work. So I'll have the link that is originalbodywisdom.com. So that's the website. I'll have that link here. So we are almost at the end, but I have so many passages here from the articles you sent me, so many other questions. But I like the way you compare grief to ice. The article, The Winter of Grief, the way you call it too, it's such a poetic and beautiful way of approaching them. You say, like ice, grief makes us very aware of how vulnerable we are. Like ice, we have to approach our grief consciously. Doing so makes us strangely fully alive. Yeah, strangely fully alive. What does it feel like to feel alive in such a way, coming from that space? Mm, That's a really good question. Fully alive in the ice space. Yeah. I think it, well, obviously it does have to do with dropping your mind. So obviously people who live in warm climates can't have this experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you're, if you're having to walk across a sheet of ice, you, it's like you have mm-hmm. to sense into your movement every moment of the way so you don't slip. And if you start thinking like, oh, no, this is scary, or I'm going to slip, or I can't do that, that's going to take away from, it's not just awareness, like, yes, you have to be aware of the possible outcomes of slipping or falling on the ice, but it really is about how you plant yourself and then respond to how you've planted as you go into the next step. It's When I say fully alive like that, I often think of, um, you know, like animals out in nature where people could even see it to a certain degree in their house cats, how the cat's been lying there and then she gets up and she just, she's going to do something and she's just so (laughs) slick and sleek and feeling and alert and that, to me, is a really amazing experience of aliveness. It seems like it's not an imagination domain. <laughs> it's more of an experience. Yes. And, and in the field of somatic movement, we often start with imagery to generate an experience. Then we can feel the experience. And when it's a more healthy or functional pattern for our bodies, what we're looking for is for the experience to just be so alive, we don't have to look for it or imagine it anymore. It just is. 
our experience. There's something else you talk about. Yeah, I love the way you write. You say our body is the place we feel our pain, but also the place where we feel redemption. Living in our body is the source of our resilience. So yeah. true. Yeah. Do you connect resilience somehow to inner peace? Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Like, if you are always feeling like something bad could happen at any time or something bad did happen and you can't forget it, you can't meet situations freshly, so you're not resilient, and you just live with a certain amount of stress and tension. And so how can you have inner mm. peace? I mean, you may have moments of inner peace. You know, you may have like those kind of experiences where, you know, I don't know, you're in a meditation retreat or you're walking on a beach on vacation and you have moments. But I think the name of the game is to not just live for the moments, but to live with the steadiness of the inner peace. It seems like it goes back to that idea of being present. Because, yeah, I love that idea for some reasons. No attachments to the past, to the future, and having the mind to be here in this moment, which is really, really challenging. Uh, hopefully, being in the past and the future, in, not in a negative way. Like in my case, I try to do that in a planning or remembering good memories, from, uh, good experiences in the past, or having these um, images or imagining the future. So in this sense, I guess, would be okay. Would that be okay, Donna, to be in the present oh, moment? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, we do have memory. I think it's even okay to have your, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, you shouldn't go into your story. Yeah. But our stories have defined who they are, we are, and we don't have to be the victim of our stories, but Our stories have given us a lot of richness and help us make sense of life and can help others. True. So I think past and future are part of why we're here. It's mm -hmm. all like regulation. Like, how can I experience what I need in each moment of life so I feel whole. I love that, Donna. Never heard it that way. Yeah, because maybe in this moment you do need to, you know, think of images for the future, you know? Right. Like, I don't think there are rules. It, that's the danger with ideas and concepts, making them so concrete and so solid, where we begin to deny everything deny the future, the body even, like so many of spiritual teachers do, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah, we deny yes. the body. Yes, and I think that I talked to one person after my son died who had had a, um, a really tragic death in her life, and I could see I didn't want to take her path because she just meditated so much that she felt peaceful about it. And which, you know, isn't a bad thing in and of its own, but I could see that like she also didn't really want to talk about what happened or even though it had happened many years ago or kind of open it up again. Right. So right. from the outside, at least, it looked like there was sort of a split. And, you know, like if I can be spiritual, I don't have to feel the pain. And I know there's that word for, for something that people do a lot 
psychologically spiritual bypassing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yes, I think that that's really big misunderstanding in spirituality. Yeah, I agree. And thank you. And, you know, when we're in our bodies, we can't do that because we're going to feel whatever that is, you know, rage or upset or yeah. being disappointed. So we're almost at the end and I do ha have a few more questions for you. Would you, okay. like, <laughs> would you like to add anything, Donna? I think what I'd like to say is that there's also this like sense of pain that people have a lot that either falls into like a numbness or like a really intense kind of chronic pain that it's not uncommon for people to get into battles with that. And while, you know, some pain, I mean, gosh, you know, you fall off a roof and you break your back or whatever, which I did have one student who that happened to. Yeah. Like, yeah, the truth is you may be in chronic pain for the rest of your life. I, I don't know. And what we can do is still enter into the places where we feel a little ease, a little softness. And that is a baseline level of safety. And in that ease and softness and safety, whatever movements come through that gentle, easy, soft movements, it may and often does start peeling away the layers of pain and numbness. So in things like grief and loss, people are often like, I don't know how to get away from the grief and loss. It right. defines me. And that also needs to be softened. But then in pain, people are often trying to push it away, suppress it, pretend yeah. it's not there. Wow, you just reminded me and hopefully the listeners to um, look into somatic movement, because I will. <laughs> yeah, there's an organization yeah. called ISMETA, International Somatic Movement, International Somatic Movement Educators and Therapists Association. And um, it's it's attempting to be a worldwide umbrella for the whole field. And there's a lot of great information on their website and links to like, I'm pretty sure that's where I've seen bio dance. I have three more questions for you. The ending questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, freedom. What is freedom to you? What is to be free? That's, I think for myself, the time that I feel most free is when I'm just really connected to whatever emptiness or space I feel through and around me. Um, and in that, there's no clinging. Right. Uh, not, not clinging, not grabbing, not holding on is really a freedom. And it's tricky because that's not to say you shouldn't, you know, go for what you want. So is that possible to live in such a space? Always, every moment. I don't know. I'm playing with that. <laughs> yeah. Just as I can. <laughs> yeah, please yeah. update I mean, me. <laughs> some people say it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Wow, that sounds wonderful. If you knew you would die soon, meaning leaving the body or losing the body, would you make any change or do anything in a different way? Well, <laughs> I think I would make a lot more time for my family. You know, I, I think I would do that. That's the first thing that comes to mind. 
Right. Yeah, I hear that. Obviously, I would stop working on work. There'd be no point. Not not to say I wouldn't still see people who I'm working with, but I wouldn't do podcasts or, you know, marketing. (laughs) Okay, good. You're here (laughs) so we can talk. Uh, So my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? Hmm, you have good questions. Let's see, three things I know for sure about life. Well, that there's only one way to deal with it, and that's to live it. You do know that. Yeah. <laughs> you can't be half-hearted. I guess the classic is no one gets out alive, so death is inevitable. And that in terms of your intrinsic satisfaction, it is what you make of it. So I'm not saying that, you know, people don't have circumstances that, you know, keep them in poverty or, you know, disease states that don't move and they have to, you know, live with that disease. But I am saying that even within those limitations, there's a relationship to satisfaction to oneself with what the situation is as it is. And we all have that autonomy. I absolutely love your wisdom, authenticity. You're fun. You're a lot of fun, too, in a, in a very deep way. Thank you so much, Donna, for your Thank presence. You. Oh, it was a pleasure to speak with you. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your products, services, and future projects? Uh, OriginalBodyWisdom.com is my website, and that is the best place to go uh, to read blog posts. I have some videos. And there are events, some of which are virtual, that you can find on that website. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Great. Pleasure to meet you. Bye for now, Donna. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Donna Brooks and her work, please visit OriginalBodyWisdom.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.